It takes a lot of perseverance, determination, and hard work to operate an interior design business for more than 40 years. But that's just what Catherine Greeley, owner and principal of Catherine Greeley Designs, has put into her business. In this podcast, Erin sits down with Catherine to discuss her design philosophy, the story behind her books, and the importance of following your dreams. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, it's just a joy having you here. And I'm excited to learn more about you and your design work and gosh, the books that you've put together. Well, I'm, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm delighted to be with you. Well, let's talk a little bit about your role as a designer um, and some of the, just your design aesthetic and some of the things that you're known for um, as a designer. Where are you located? What kind of projects do you take on? That sort of thing. I have been in the design business in Waynesville, uh, North Carolina for about 42 years. And that is a small town west of Asheville. Uh, have uh, normally done residential work, but some what I would call soft commercial, such as medical and dental office, attorney offices. Uh, but I really enjoy um, residential work the most, I think. And as to my aesthetic, I think um, years of traveling in Europe have influenced my design aesthetic particularly travel in um, Great Britain, Scotland, Ireland. The English country house look really appeals to me uh, personally and has worked on many of my projects, uh, mainly because it is a layered look. It's a lived-in look. Uh, I think they are expert at combining what I refer to as high and low um, you know, they may have a beautiful Persian rug, but a dog may have chewed one corner of it. There may be two dogs or three uh, on the sofas. Um, there's layers of family treasures, as well as also, you know, something kind of what I would call funky uh, thrown in okay. just uh, for a little spicing up of an interior. So that is my aesthetic. I, I live in an area where is a big second and third home market. Okay. And because I live in the depths of the beautiful mountains, uh, I get a lot of out-of-town clients who want a very rustic look mm -hmm. and after doing a lot of that for 10 or 12 years I finally said one day to my staff I think we're twigged out I've had about <laughs> as many twig <laughs> projects as I can personally stand so but you know you have to look at your market and what your market brings to you and um, it did bring a lot of twigginess to me but I was grateful for, you know, a successful design career in such a small rural area. Yeah, well, let's talk about small town. I'm from a small town too, probably a little bit smaller than yours, but 120 people. How many are in your town? <laughs> well, we have quite a few more than that. Okay, that's what I figured. <laughs> let's just talk a little bit about um, building a business and, um, and, doing design work in in a small town that is that second and third home like what 
what are some of the things you've had to focus on that have made that a successful business for you? Well, I'll have to say that no one has been more surprised than me that I was able to have uh, a successful design career in this area. And I think that part of that was uh, professional uh, networking, uh, joined ASID the moment I passed the NCIDQ and the professional networking and having um, ASID behind my name has mm -hmm. helped elevate me above a lot of the uh, other designers in the area. I do have a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in interior design. <clears throat> and I believe that also has helped me establish myself self. Um, I think having lots of social contacts has been very key mm -hmm. in the success of my business. And, um, I, you know, I have always my mantra in my design business, as well as in the two books I've written has been that I believe in creating design work that is collected not decorated. I've never had a showroom. I've always had a large two-story office building. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a house, an old house. And I kept a few antiques, lamps, and that kind of thing. But I never wanted a project to look like that uh, Catherine Greeley had backed a truck up to her showroom and loaded anything that she might have in inventory and then used that to design a project. Right. I wanted my projects to be um, what the client needed, their lifestyle, what they wanted, the treasures they owned, uh, old and new, combined together to achieve more of a collected look. I love that. So let's go back to the beginning. Um, how did you get started in interior design? Well, I got out of design school with a bachelor's degree, and I decided that perhaps I would like to teach okay. at uh, the university close to me where I have the degrees from. So I decided to go back and get a master's degree so that I could teach at the university which I did uh, off and on for several years. I taught uh, professional practice. I taught um, history of furniture. Okay. Those were my two favorite classes um, to teach. And then after I did that and I saw the time that it took to prepare properly for those um, classes, I said, hmm, I believe I can uh, make more money doing uh, design projects. So I just opened up on my own. Uh, I had one assistant who was uh, one of my students from the university who did her internship with me, mm -hmm. much like you did with Gail. Mm -hmm. And she stayed with me for many years until she passed away of a heart issue. But I just sort of, as the saying goes, hung out my shingle and prayed for the best. And I would go back and forth uh, regularly to ADAC, to the design center in um, Atlanta. And I was able to convince lots of um, vendors to open an account with me that I 
assured them, even though I lived in Waynesville, that I was going to do good work and do a lot of work out of town, which I have been fortunate enough to do. Mm -hmm. And so I guess as they say, the rest is history. I love that. Well, you know, it takes that that um, spirit, that entrepreneurial spirit, and just knowing that you're going to figure it out as it comes. Um, and then paired with your creativity, it sounds like it was, it was just the perfect stars aligning. <laughs> it was. I did a lot of praying when I, I looked at my bank account and saw that, hmm, I need some more work. But I was fortunate to have lots of good uh, guidance in the industry from consultants I have used. Uh, so I've been blessed in that respect. Oh, good. Um, so what has like tell me a little bit about what your team looks like now? Well, about uh, the year before, right before months before COVID, I decided that I wanted to do my second book. And that what I really wanted to do was slow down in my design business. And so one day uh, my office manager had retired maybe six months prior to that. Uh, I had a young architect uh, working for me that decided she wanted to go out on her own. So one day my design assistant and I were sitting around the kitchen table and she said, why don't you just sell this building? You're out on the road seeing design clients all the time. This is 4,000 square feet. I'm knocking around in here by myself most every day. Right. And you could work from home, as could I. And so I thought, well, if I'm going to work on a second book, that might be a really good plan. Because at that time, I was just about to turn 70. And I thought this if this is good with my design assistant, then I think it might be good with me. So I put a for sale sign in front of my office house, as I called it. And one of my neighbors who was an accountant down the street came by on his way for lunch one day, came into the building and said, am I seeing things or is Kathy really going to sell this house and Janice said yes that's what her plan is and he said I'm going to buy it <laughs> so, oh my goodness so he did and about that time is when everything shut down because of COVID so it was wow. rather fortuitous so that um, I was so lucky so blessed and so Janice went to her house I came here to Chestnut Cottage uh, we've been doing that and we love it. Um, I have taken on no new design projects since I've been promoting my book for the last okay. year. I was going to ask about that. I still uh, am uh, taking care of all my existing clients. Okay. Uh, because I feel like they are the people who, quote, brought me to the dance. And I'm not going to leave them empty handed because sadly there are fewer and fewer designers in my area because mainly most of my contemporaries retired before I even thought about retiring or selling my business. So, you know, sadly, if I had an existing client come to me and say, okay, you're retiring, who are we going to use? 
mm-hmm. then I have nobody to offer up to them. <clears throat> so I have turned down quite a bit of new work while I've been promoting the book. Mm-hmm. But I sort of have the itch now to start taking on some new projects because the book's been out, you know, this is the second year of the cycle of the book. So um, nothing goes on forever. Uh, right. And um, I'm 72 now and I still have a great passion for what I do and don't want to quit. Um, right. Well, it's so. hard. It's hard when you're you're used to um, that pace and you know keeping your brain and and your business heart working towards you know a, a goal every single day. Yeah, you get the itch when you're like, yeah. well, this project is is where it needs to be, and I'm ready to start something else. So, um, I'd love to hear a, more about your books. Tell me about you. I know you've got two books. Um, you've got the collected tabletop and the collected cottage. So tell me about them. What makes them different? Um, what was your inspiration behind them? Well, I had the first book uh, was released in 2012, the collected tabletop. And I had always done lots of parties for clients. I do. Um, I cook a lot. Um, I do flowers a lot. So I had clients through the years who really wanted me to help them with parties. And so I thought, you know, it would be really fun to do a book, uh, an entertaining type book. I did that book. And at the time I started that book, I had um, four, four or five members on my staff and we were very busy with lots of twig work and and so uh, that was kind of a different situation than when I did the second book which um, as I said came out a year ago this past August and uh, I, I just always had After I did the collected tabletop, which I loved doing it, I loved going around and speaking. Uh, That was just something that really uh, fueled my passion to share that with other people, both professional people as well as non-professional people. And so the cottage that I live in is 100 years old. And I bought this cottage when I was single before my husband and I got married. And we've we've been married almost 30 years. And I bought congratulations. (laughs) I bought the cottage before, eight years before that. And it was 935 square feet. Okay. And it's uh, called Chestnut Cottage because it is full of what's known as wormy chestnut. Um, You may not be aware, but in the the 1920s, there came a chestnut blot to all the chestnut trees on the East Coast. Okay. And they got this terrible blot that supposedly came through the Bronx Zoo. Um, and the wood was just pulled out of the forest and considered junk wood. And oh, the, the, the person that built my cottage was a forester in the area with a large paper company. And he, I guess, just had access to all this, quote, junk wood. And he built the cottage, the original part of the cottage, all the 
walls, the doors, the ceilings are all out of wormy chestnut. So the minute I walked across the threshold of this cottage, something just I just fell in love. And unfortunately, the the couple that built the house and whom I had bought the house from their estate, they had apparently smoked for years. So all of the wormy chestnut was black. And I probably used 50 gallons of Murphy soap oil just cleaning the wood. Wow. And um, so the cottage started out, you know, being very emotional to me, very close to my mm-hmm. heart. And as I just got, I guess I just got a little bit bored with my design work and before COVID and I thought, I, I really want to document my love uh, affair with Chestnut Cottage. I and I that. have a, a very large uh garden mainly perennials no no vegetables i want to be very clear on that (laughs) i'm not a vegetable garden i had one uh, very short-lived um experiment with tomatoes and that did not work so i only do perennials and i do annuals only in my window boxes so i wanted to share the garden as well as more entertaining events and i confess that i am an incurable collector so i wanted the book to be seasonal uh, by the seasons and i wanted it to focus on gardening gatherings also known as entertaining and some of my collections antique collections to share with people who have similar interests And one of the more popular things about my first book were the recipes in the collected collected tabletop. So I wanted to incorporate uh, recipes again in the collected cottage. And these are not uh, real, what I would call high-browed gourmet recipes. These are recipes that I have collected through the years from family and friends. So they're doable recipes the best kind right <laughs> i think so yes <laughs> the, the the comfort uh the the kind of comfort foods that people love and you know to come home to and and celebrate the holidays with. yes definitely but that's sort of the evolution of um katherine greeley designs in two books well, I love that, and I'm, I'm eager to to get my hands on um, a couple of recipes for this upcoming holiday season, for sure. Um, so how did it feel to create books that focus on your own home and your collections and how you celebrate and entertain? Well, at first, I really worried that people would think that this was just a monument to myself. And I really did not approach it that way. I really approached it that I wanted to share with readers, you know, how 
much a home can mean, how much a garden can mean, Mm -hmm. how much entertaining friends and family can mean. So I will have to say that I worried about that for some time, that people would think, oh, goodness, Kathy Greeley has just written this book all about her home and just as a monument to her Mm -hmm. uh, desires and her passions and her design career. Um, I haven't had anyone tell me that since the book came out. That's May right. Said it's interesting that, that things our head, you know, our minds want to tell <laughs> us when it's not really real. <laughs> right. Our mind does go in funny places. Well, so when it came to putting both books together, was one um, harder to write or to put together than the other? I think the Collected Cottage was harder. Okay. One of the reasons I was 10 years older. <laughs> and doing the kind of book that was so image heavy, uh, photography heavy, is a lot of physical work, not mm-hmm. just creative planning, but it's a lot of physical work. And it was just harder. Plus, I think the first book, some of the events in the collected tabletop were at Chestnut Cottage. Okay. A couple were at my lake home. And others were at clients' houses. So that seemed to be easier than doing it here. And, you know, it's just hard to live in a home and then do photography. We were doing photography about twice a month because we, we had to do it. During the seasons, you know, when the garden, the spring garden, the daffodils and the tulips came out, we had to do it then. When Easter came around, we had to do that entertaining event then. Mm-hmm. And I cooked all the food and did all the flowers and, you know, styled all the tables. So it was pretty exhausting. Uh, maybe I just didn't remember how exhausting it was when I did the collected tabletop. Well, and you also were running your design business with like full force doing the twig projects at that time. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And how were you able to manage all of that? Just a a great team or? A great team. And I'm just, my very nature, I'm overly organized. Um, I have an extremely supportive husband He is my biggest cheerleader, and he was very helpful uh, with all the photography done here at the cottage. Mm -hmm. I have a wonderful housekeeper who uh, certainly doesn't work full time. She just works one day a week. But during all the photography, she was here about as much as I was here. (laughs) I'm sure she was happy when that little project was complete. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, so many designers have the dream of having a book or a a coffee table book that shows their work and their designs. And um, and also sometimes it's a it's a marketing tool, right, to be able to share your brand and your lifestyle with other people. And so have you seen I guess, have you seen the effects of it as used as a marketing tool for the brand and the type of design aesthetic that you bring to the table? Definitely. Yes. And do you feel like it's attracting, like it's attracting the the type of clientele that you'd like to be doing less twig projects with and more other projects? Exactly. Okay. Because 
the this cottage is a reflection of my own personal design aesthetic, not that I want every client that I work for to feel compelled to to have that look because I can design contemporary interiors as well as I can design twigs or English country style or European look. It's I I never want people to feel like that this is the only uh, design aesthetic that I am putting out there. I love that. So interesting. So what are, um, I guess, what would be some tips for designers out there that are considering putting a book together? I, I mean, it sounds like you've kind of done it in two different ways, right? Like you've done it with full time you've got your team and you've got all the design projects and you're trying to make this happen. And then there also is a moment that you're like, I'm going to scale back and just kind of work on this as my project for a moment. So um, what kind of tips do you have for somebody that's really eager and and has that as a goal on their list to, um, to have a great book to show their work and their life? Well, I think if you have that desire, you need to follow your dream. You definitely need to do that. But my very first warning is don't consider books as a revenue stream. <laughs> okay, there you go. A lot uh, of buying books for people to get it out in the right hands of people, right? Right. And I think that, as you mentioned, the a book does uh, help your branding. Uh, but I don't think that designers should go into this, into doing a book, and thinking this is going to be a lot of money collected. Right. Uh, from my experience, not only with one book, but with both books, that's just not the case. Right. Especially at this point in history with paper shortages, the cost of printing and uh, any publisher will tell you, you know, the printing costs have escalated unbelievably since COVID. Mm, interesting. So I think that that's my main uh, two points that I would share with other designers is follow your dreams. If that's what you want to do, make it happen. Um, and, but, however, <laughs> do not go into it thinking it is going to be a major source of revenue. Yeah. And that. thirdly, uh, don't go into it thinking that it's uh, not a difficult thing physically and creatively to create. Right. Well, and then it's also, you know, making sure that you have the right photographer that is capturing and, you know, that's capturing everything the way it needs to be captured and at the quality that, you know, the book demands. So exactly sure challenges as well. <laughs> Definitely. Well, and I hadn't thought about it. I mean, you know, I've done a lot of different types of projects with Gail and, um, some, you know, lots of different pivots and trying things differently and getting things done quickly. And I hadn't thought about the elements of doing photography, like taking a space and then having to go through all the seasons and, and have that type of schedule to, to document all of the seasons of your home as well. Like what, I mean, that must have been quite the um, the calendaring that you put together to make all that happen. Well, it was a year because we, you know, you don't put up seven like live Christmas trees in July. 
I actually spoke to the Christmas tree grower who is a local that I get all my trees from. And I just sort of floated that out to him. And he said, don't even think about it. He said, we're not cutting Christmas trees in uh, July. It's very bad for the trees. Forget it. You know, you're going to have to do it at this season. So that was, um, you know, it was challenging to schedule everything. And just like it's hard to know when all of my collection of peonies, exactly what date they are going to bloom. They get in bud and they stay in bud. And you think, well, next week they're going to bloom. And next week comes and you're thinking, my God, I think they're not going to bloom for two more weeks. (laughs) So I have to reschedule the photographer. And fortunately, I use the same photographer on both books and he lives in Asheville. He lives okay. 45 minutes away. So you could say, we're going to get a snow tomorrow. Let's do this. Well, I said that to him one day and he said, no, you're, if we're going to get a snow tomorrow, you're going to, I'm going to teach you how to photograph outside in the snow with your iPad. I have an <laughs> iPad pro and all the snow uh, images in the collected cottage are of my doing on my iPad Pro. Congratulations <laughs> and, and, your talent. Oh. He he insisted that I get a tripod for my iPad because he said you think your hand isn't shaking, but it is, and it makes a huge difference when you're trying to res up an image. And so I got the tripod as instructed. And one morning I woke up and my husband said, oh, my God, you're not going to believe the snow. It's gorgeous. And I'm like, oh, oh, God, I've got to get out there immediately (laughs) before anybody comes up our street. So uh, get on my boots and everything. And it was really quite comical. It probably would have made America's funniest video had anybody been seeing Wells, my husband, trying to help me up around to the virgin snow with my tripod and my iPad. But uh, in the end, it did work. And the photographer could not have physically gotten here from Asheville because of the amount of snow. Wow. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, now I'm curious, now that I've like learned more about you and your designs and just your love for, yeah, you know, celebrations and collections, is there something that, um, like how you grew up that, you know, did you have a grandmother or a mother that was um, doing some of the same things or is this something that you just found a love for? Well, both. Uh, I had what I consider a town grandmother and I had a country grandmother Okay, and my country grandmother had a beautiful flower garden, raised hollyhocks, peonies, uh, and she cooked and she cooked country cooking and country foods. And my town grandmother was more into home furnishings and collecting um and both of them had like my country grandmother had blue willa um for her main pattern and it came from the local five and ten cent store Uh, my town grandmother uh 
had married at 16 and married uh, my grandfather, who was from Northern Ireland. So she went back to Northern Ireland to County Down. And I think, you know, while she was there, she stayed for a bit and acquired some English China patterns. So I had this best of both worlds. I had the Blue Willow from uh, the five and ten cent store and all the gardens and country cooking. And then my grand, my town grandmother, as I called her, and that they would both probably be offended that I had tagged them one as my country grandmother and one as my town grandmother. But <laughs> it makes a lot of sense in how you're explaining. Well, and then my mother, you know, growing up in the six fifties, my mother and all of her friends wore all these beautiful 50s fashions, which has had a great influence on my own personal style. But they would entertain. Uh, My mother belonged to this bridge club. And every time they met, they met in someone's home. And when it was your turn to have bridge club in your home, you pulled out all the stops. You used the best china you had. You cooked unusual things. And uh, I can still remember kind of hiding in the lurches. I'm an only child, so I would just live for bridge club to be at my home because all these women, my mother's friends, dressed to the nines and their beautiful 50s fashions and their alligator stiletto heels would come trooping into the house and they'd have a cocktail and sadly most of them smoked at that time and I thought they were so glamorous (laughs) and (laughs) they they really and I say this and most of the uh, presentations where I speak about one or both of the books I say they had a huge influence on my passion for interior design, for gardening, for collecting, for cooking. Um, you mentioned a minute ago the recipes for the holidays. Uh, in the first book, there is a cake recipe from my country grandmother. It's a recipe for a caramel cake. Mm-hmm. And I'm confident that it more most likely came out of some farm journal. Okay. But for several years, I did a blog and I had the caramel cake recipe, which is in the first book, was on the blog. And then uh, a couple of years ago, we just decided to take the blog down because I was doing more Instagram and so forth. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, about at least twice a week, I get these panicked emails on Catherine Greeley Designs website. We have not copied down the caramel cake recipe and it has disappeared from the blog. Oh, to pull my it up. I love family it. is uh, is desperate for this for my mother's birthday or for Thanksgiving. So I have that copied right over here next to me on my desk and and when they call in the panic or they uh, leave an email on Catherine Greeley Designs, I scan it and email to. Well, to now them. I'm going to definitely have to get the caramel recipe. <laughs> it is good. It is good. It's not the most simple, but it is so good. And people love that was the most popular recipe in the collected tabletop. 
Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, um, let's just touch for a minute. You, you mentioned Instagram and blogging. Um, so you're active over on Instagram and is that mostly focused on your book and your designs or um, is it more of a lifestyle? Well, it I'm on Instagram and Facebook and, you know, it's a lot about design, about gardening, about entertaining, just mainly the subject matter of both of the books. Mm-hmm. And are you doing most of that content creation yourself or do you have a team that's helping you? I, I know that can sometimes be overwhelming when running <laughs> a business and coming up with your creativity and then also getting it all posted as well. Well, sadly, I'm doing it myself. <laughs> Not well, sadly. That is very impressive. I'm- <laughs> well, one of the things that when I started working with the medium matters is it needs to be in my voice. Right. And so I have done it myself. Okay. And some weeks I'm more motivated to do more posts than other weeks. Okay. And a lot of times I'm traveling uh, for work or for book events, and I just don't get things posted. But I do it myself. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So that's a very natural way to be. Um, So, you know, we're just entering the holiday um, kind of your, it sounds like, probably one of your favorite times of the year is my assumption based off of our conversation. We're kind of entering this holiday time of Thanksgiving and Christmas and all of the magic that happens during that time. What are some things that you have planned and up your sleeve, some of your traditions that um, are just around the corner? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I always do Thanksgiving lunch and for 30 some years, I have family, I have friends, if somebody that I know that's new that's moved into the area, uh, if a client is here and doesn't, an out-of-town client and doesn't have family here, Mm -hmm. I say in the first book that I take in strays. So (laughs) I have all kinds of strays. um, And that just brings me a lot of joy. And I guess if I had one thing to say about how much I love the holidays is I think the best gift that you can give your family and your friends is entertaining them in your home. It's a gift that they can't get anywhere else. So I start with Thanksgiving, then I get all the trees up and traditionally we'll have maybe a couple of small dinner parties for six or eight people. Uh, Last year, we had a large cocktail party. We hadn't had that since before COVID for obvious reasons. Right. Um, I like to do um, my neighbors. We like to get together for sort of a neighborhood progressive dinner. Um, This year, I think I'm going to have, I mentioned to you that I'm uh, the chairman of the board of trustees at Mm -hmm. the university where I obtained my degrees. And I think that I'm going to have my board and the chancellor's executive committee over for uh, dinner because we're all going to be together um, the middle of December uh, for a meeting and just before the December commencement ceremony. So that's kind of what's up this year. It changes from year to year. Sounds wonderful. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today and 
Um, you know, one thing that we always ask towards the end of our podcast is, um, what are three things that you'd like our listeners to take away from Catherine Greeley and, and being a part of our podcast today? Well, I think I've mentioned a couple of times that um, your listeners, whether they're designers or in another field, I think if you have a dream in your heart, whether that's to write a book, um, to be recognized in magazines, follow your dream and don't let the fact that you might be in a rural area uh, or you might be in a large metropolitan area where there's a lot of competition among designers, follow your dreams. Um, on a more personal level, uh, what I just said about I believe that sharing your home uh, mm -hmm. is the best gift and the most unique and personal gift that you can give your family and friends. And I guess the third thing would be to not think that your design career is going to be a straight line, that there are going to be opportunities that may present themselves that you had never had the dream for. Uh, I think that just because I started out just as Catherine Greeley Designs obviously didn't mean that it was always going to be Catherine Greeley Designs. Right. And things come up. And uh, I took on the position uh, at the university because the degrees I got molded my design career unbelievably the faculty there that took me under their wings mm -hmm. uh, they molded my career and I have always had interns from the university mm -hmm. and many of which became full-time employees so I the university pulls at my heartstrings oh. so I think there's lots of things in our industry that you can do that your design career is not just going to be a flat line. I think that is one of my favorite points of all of it. Um, <laughs> even when I reflect on my own career, it's like, who knew? You know, when I yeah. started and turn 18 years later, I would be doing what I'm doing now. Um, very, very different path. So, well, sometimes I have to just pinch myself because I cannot believe that this, I grew up in a town much smaller than the one I live in now. And sometimes I think, you know, who would have ever thought that this girl from Bryson City, where I grew up, would ever A, have a design career, B, written two books. And every time I walk around the university, I think, who I couldn't in my wildest imagination ever dream of being the chairman of the board of trustees. So That's incredible. Well, congratulations. And I wish you a very happy holiday season. And um, I'm eager to uh, get the caramel cake recipe now. My kids <laughs> like, once they catch wind of that, they're going to want to be. Uh, well, I'll go ahead as uh, soon as possible. <laughs> I'll go ahead and. Uh, scan and email you the caramel cake okay. and, uh, because the collected tabletop is uh, out of print. I still have a few copies on my website, uh, but we have plenty of copies with lots of other great recipes in the collected cottage. Perfect. Well, thank uh, you so much, Catherine, and we will um, talk to you soon. All right. Thank you for having me. 
Thank you, Catherine, for joining us on the podcast and sharing all of your fascinating stories. Join us next week for the finale of Season 7 of the Creative Genius Podcast, where we'll talk with David Ferris, who's the president and CEO of Ted Scott Designs, a custom upholstery firm. See you then. Right now, you can also download our 2023 Interior Design Business Survey on fees, salaries, and current state of the industry. Get it for free now at thepearlcollective.com slash podcast survey.